Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Verbal Reasoning Podcast. I'm your host, Erin, and I'm joined with my co-host, Steve, here today. I apologize, I wasn't there last week, and things appears to have gone out of hand, Stephen. Um, Can you, first of all, as soon as we start the podcast, I just want to get right into it. Can you explain to me why I listened to our last episode, which was called Virtual Love Island, and uh, all I hear is you telling a guy that he has a nice willy? Well, as you know, I'm a man of culture. And uh, you need to appreciate uh, life as it is. You're a disgusting creep and your mic is very loud. But um, (laughs) today I'm back. So no more of that nonsense. So we're going to get straight into a whole bunch of stuff that happened this week. I think first of all, Steve, let's get let's get into the big fight. Mm. Um, Obviously, it was huge right here. Very local to us happened in the uh, Tottenham Stadium. Uh, It was Alexander Usyk. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Usyk, Joshua. Is it Usyk? Usyk. Usyk. Yeah, Alexander. It's not even Alexander. Alexander Usyk uh, and Anthony Joshua. Uh, they had the heavyweight bout, which uh, I'm sure everyone is aware uh, Usyk dominated. It was actually kind of embarrassing for Anthony Joshua. And, and now we have uh, and the new, you know, world heavyweight champion, Alexander Usyk. So, Steve, let me get like a, a fresh reaction from you. Um, how did you feel watching that fight? I've been saying since the beginning that this was already announced that Alexander Usyk or Alexander Usyk is a fucking dangerous fighter, man. Like he's no joke. Like I know he's not British, so he obviously doesn't have the, you know, the clout that most British fighters do. They don't have the backing. But maybe I'll go through his record, you know, from the beginning, just to give you a taste of who he is. So in his amateur, uh, he actually started off as a football player. Funny enough. And uh, later on, when he was 15, he switched to boxing. And from then on, his, his career just shot up. So I believe in 2006, he won the European Championship, got gold med- medal in 2006. Uh, later on, in 2008, he won again the World Championship. In 2011, he won it again. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In, in the heavyweight section, so not in cruiserweight, he got gold medal. 2012, Olympic Games in London. So the exact Olympic Games that Anthony Joshua won gold, he also won gold. Um, and then from then on, he went on to, you know, box professionally. He won the Muhammad Ali um, trophy, I believe, which is a very highly trophy once he went to pros as a uh, cruiserweight. Um, he, he won all the cruiserweight belts and became, you know, uh, unified completely. Nobody could beat him. Now, people were saying that Anthony Joshua is too big for him. You know, Anthony Joshua, knock him out, blah, blah, blah. Like, he he doesn't have the power. This dude was competing in heavyweight in in the amateur scene. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um, I I don't know why, but in my head, maybe because of the coverage, I felt that Usyk was a lot smaller than AJ. But when you actually saw them in the ring, the difference was kind of negligible, if I'm being honest with you. Like their size wasn't mm. so different that, you know, I, I watched it and I almost thought like, really, this is the guy you're saying that AJ was going to dominate physically? I mean, it didn't really look like that at all. He's 6'3". Um, he's 6'3". He's, he's not a little, he's not a little guy, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and I also found it interesting, there's a few parallels with him and AJ. Obviously, uh, they both won in gold in the same Olympics. But also, I mean, I think you just mentioned that he actually started to, you know, really box at 15. Uh, AJ also started to box quite late as well in his career. And then you just see like 
how both their careers kind of just exploded after the Olympics, which mm-hmm. we've discussed the Olympics on here before. It's great advertisement for them, to be fair. I mean, they, they asked Usyk uh, at the end of this fight, you know, which ones, which belt are you more proud of having? The cruiserweight belts or the, or the heavyweight belts? And his response was the Olympic, uh, the Olympic gold medal. Because, you know, the Olympic, the Olympic gold medal really, really measures how good of a boxer you are. There's no, uh, no one knows your name, so no one cares. You fight fighters from all around the world, where we know with the modern boxing game is all about promotion. And some countries, knowing that they'll never make it to pro, really focus on uh, winning the amateur scene. They, that is their bread and butter. And if you're able to beat them and come out with a gold medal, it really does mean that you're the best in the world. That's actually quite interesting that he said that because... I don't know if you um, listened to it, but Mike Tyson's podcast, uh, he had uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov on. Uh, I've completely butchered his surname there. But yeah, he, he was yeah. speaking to Henry Cejudo and he kind of said that like, oh, you have a gold medal. And like, for me, I wish, you know, I wish I had that sort of thing. Mm. So it goes to show that like, you know, these, these really elite level fighters, although we might think, oh, they've got all the belts and everything, they really do value the Olympics. Yeah. And as you said, maybe it is because once you move into the professional scene, it's not just about how good you are. There's a lot of promotion and everything involved. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they do really value the Olympics. That being said, though, Steve, mm. let's talk a little bit about how this fight was kind of promoted. And I just want to, like, you know, have a quick little tiny little monologue here, kind of discussing um, the way we view boxers that aren't necessarily from the more Western hemisphere. Uh, whether that be, you know, Western Europe or be, you know, uh, America, etc. So, for example, in the build-up to this fight, it was kind of portrayed by the media as if, like, uh, Usyk was almost a villain. And obviously, you know, they, they kind of... He does have a villainous look, let's be honest. Yeah. So he was kind of portrayed as the villain and, you know, AJ as the, the champion, the, you know, clean-cut good guy, basically. But the reality is the Rocky movies have done a number, I think, on multiple generations where they think that the Eastern European guy is like Ivan Drago, the bad guy. But when you really look into both their pasts, sure, I'm sure AJ had some troubles and everything as well. But when you really look at Usyk and who he is, you're talking about a kid who grew up in Ukraine, born in Soviet Ukraine, by the way. And, you know, he's literally used nothing but his sheer talent to win gold at the Olympics, destroy the cruiserweight division, and he said, no, that's not enough for me. Like, I, I'm already a certified legend, by the way. If he was to quit mm. after he unified all those belts, he, he's already got legend status. P for said, P, no. bro. P for P, well, Pound greatest. for pound. He's, he's, you can make the argument that he's the greatest. But he said, no. And he said, okay, cool. I'm going to come to your ends. I'm going to come to London. And I'm going to fight the world heavyweight champion. I'm going to go up a weight division. I'm going to do this. And he came and he absolutely schooled him. Mm. He is the main character. It's not AJ. He's not the villain. He is the protagonist. He is the main character here. He's somebody that everyone should look up to. You know, mm. he, he's the kind of, when you look at the, the cards dealt by life, you know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't dealt the best cards. I mean, let's be honest here. He, he's, I mean, he, he's, he's grown still based, up in Ukraine. He's still based in an active war zone, if you think about it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly, like, yeah. You know, you know, we all know the politics of Russia and Ukraine and the recent politics. Yet his camp is still there. His family's still there. Like you said, he really represents like where he's from. And I feel like, you know, especially in countries like Ukraine, they have big pride in sports. It's a massive, massive thing for them because 
like what else can they really make it in uh you know I mean opportunity wise so you know he done himself proud he done his country proud but again you're right they did portray him as a villain he kind of bought into it i don't know if you saw he was wearing like the joker costume yeah yeah uh, you know when he started doing stuff like that i said this guy this guy might win <laughs> this guy might win because i don't know why but i i feel like characters like him mm. are very electrifying very. You, you get drawn to characters like him and you know the whole thing of i feel i very feel like I know he's doing it, saying it as a joke at this point. I'm sure he's aware. Yeah, yeah. But like, even stuff like that just makes me really like. He's a bit odd. He's, he's a bit he's of a odd. funny character. That's the thing. He, he, but it's it's there's something very magnifying about him. Like you, you're drawn to him, and uh, you know that whole clean cut image that AJ has. Although I do like, I'm a big fan of Anthony Joshua. I think he's a great boxer, and he's done great things for the heavyweight division. It does get a bit boring with him after a while. The clean cut mm. image. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It does get a bit boring. And obviously we're not speaking here as like experts on the sport, but I'm just saying as somebody who consumes the sport, who watches it, after a while, you're like, come on, man. Where's like the, you know, where's the... The edge. The edge. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. when you look at the really great boxers, you know, the ones that are remembered, whether it be Mohamed Ali or Mike Tyson or whatever, they, they're guys with edge. You know, they got the gift of the uh, gab. They, I don't know. Mike Tyson was just a different beast while he was in his prime yeah. anyway. But you like characters like that? And the fact that, you know, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, uh, you know, to an extent, Anthony Joshua, the way that they just didn't fight one another, they couldn't make these fights happen. They were just kind of ducking one another. Deontay Wilder, I've said this before, I really have no respect for this guy whatsoever. Now, he ducked Dylan White for nearly two years while he was a mandatory. More than two years, yeah. Yeah, exactly. More than two years. And then, you know, you see how they are and then you see, you know, Usyk comes through, he says, cool, you want to fight in London, we'll fight in London. He just comes in, does the job, gets the belt. And I hope he fights Tyson Fury next. I don't want to make any bold claims, but if he fights the way he fought against AJ, I mean, it was a masterclass. I think he's got a chance against Fury as well. Yeah, it was a masterclass and he's got a strong chance. But I think if we're now looking at the Fury fight, if he does fight Fury, I mean, this is if he gets past AJ part two. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a given fight. I, I think he will, man. Because they, I, what can AJ do? What can AJ? Really I, I, do? I think AJ needs to do the Chizora. You know, when Usyk went against Chizora, he was struggling in a sense because Chizora didn't come there to like box him. You know, play clean from a distance and keep him out of reach. Chizora came in to ragdoll him. And you that, know, that's interesting you say yeah. that because uh, Dylan White actually said the exact same thing. He said, "You're the bigger man. You should have fought like the bigger man," but yeah. he didn't. Which is a very weird tactic from AJ's camp. I don't know why. I mean, did you were you listening to his corner when he mm. was uh, when he went to the corner? Did you like hear what yeah. they were saying to him? Yeah, yeah. He was, was like, "Oh, well done. He's doing well." <laughs> yeah, is that yeah. what you mean? He's doing well. He's lost every round. Like, what are you saying? There were like three rounds left, and the, the, his corner was still telling him to just keep jabbing and try to avoid getting punched. And I'm thinking, surely, mm. surely you have more of a game plan than that. So I don't know. Maybe he he gets a new camp. You know, he gets a new um. Corner training corner. Does he, he get does he get rid of Rob McCracken? So Rob I McCracken should, has man. been his trainer since the Olympics. And so far he's refused to get rid of him. He's added to the team. So his team is absolutely massive now. But is there too many voices, Aaron? I think so, especially since the Ruiz loss. I feel like his style has kind of changed as well. Whereas before AJ would wait till mm. like max the fifth, sixth round and just unload on people. I feel like now he's too scared to get knocked out. Mm. So he keeps trying to do this like jab and move thing, but that's not where he, his strengths lie. 
Mm-hmm. And he is the bigger man. He is physically a dominant fighter. He should be leaning into that aspect of his boxing more. But I think I know why he doesn't do that. And I think this fight is exposed that AJ is a bit chinny. Like now there's oh, he's no... Def- he's very chinny. Very chinny. There's no question about it. So although he's a big puncher, I think for him risking to be just the puncher, you know, if he gets caught, which is very easy for someone who is a big puncher with someone like Usyk to get caught, you know, if they See, This is why I'm saying, what's the point of the rematch? I think what's he would the point? Because what can he yeah, do? Yeah. Like, he's a, his whole strength is the fact that he's a big puncher, right? Mm. But you can't land on... Watching Usyk, I was getting annoyed. Bruv. So I was thinking, bruv, this guy is impossible to beat. Like, he was just, like when, when I was looking at the fight, I was saying, like, it's impossible for AJ to beat this guy. Because he's constantly moving. His head well, is constantly moving. I How couldn't do you believe a guy it. like that? I couldn't. It's like, a, you know, when you're fighting a fly, like, you just you just can't get it. You're like, well, come on, man. No, that was a you Hall of Fame it. performance. Like, hang that up in the Louvre. That that performance was insane by him. Beautiful. I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. The, I have to say, the build-up fights, there's, this is a recurring problem. We've discussed this, like, amongst ourselves before. With AJ in particular, undercard is terrible, man. They're, not, they, they're yeah. so bad. Like, the, the thing about, for example, like a Dylan White, he really goes above and beyond to make sure that the entire night is just entertainment. It's just absolute pure entertainment. But with AJ, his undercards are fucking shit. I mean, but the for, actual fight itself was amazing, so he kind of made up for it. Yeah, I think that's that's what they bank on. But for example, Ch- Ted Cheeseman, you know, he's a small-time boxer, probably our listeners haven't listened to him. But me and Aaron was watching the previous Dylan White undercard, and it was Cheeseman versus, was it Metcalf? Yeah, Metcalf, yeah. What a, what a fight. Absolutely beautiful boxing. Just, you know, very the technique behind it. Yeah, neither man held back. They both just went all in. It was just, it was an incredible fight. I would have loved to see the rematch of that. Well, they're, they're fighting again next week. Um, Ted Cheeseman's fighting on a small town hall show next week. Are you telling me that he couldn't got, you know what I mean? It's just next week. Are you telling me he couldn't got him on his, uh, on his undercard? Of course he could have, but he just doesn't want to pay, man. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I just, the, like I said, the kind of sparkle around AJ's kind of disappeared. I feel like the clean cut image and all of this is, mm. I don't know. He needs to really reinvent himself if he, if he, I think, wants to come back. I don't know if I was like, personally, I think this might be easier said than done, but maybe the whole unifying the belts thing is now completely out of his reach because I just do not see how that fighter that fought Usyk that day can beat him in the rematch. You know, but I think if he, you know what, I think he gives it one more try because there's been talk of whether he should just leave it and this rebuild. Is what I'm Maybe he should just lead it, nah, leave nah, it, rebuild, nah. and then fight somebody. He won't else. get this chance again, Aaron. He will never get this chance to win back all the belts at this point. Do you know what I mean? I just think he's headed for another L, man. Go, so what? Take the L. Go. Put your put your hands up <laughs> near your face and walk him down. Literally walk him down. Let him throw don't, shots. Don't at you think it's a bit odd though that he managed to get the the rematch clause? On a yeah, on a fight that's a mandatory. It's an interesting one, and yeah, because so for our listeners, usually mandatories are called by the belt organizations, and what a mandatory means is that you have to fight this person, otherwise you lose the belt. And uh, essentially, what this means is if the opponent wins, they just sail off into the sunset. Whereas if they organize a fight by themselves, they can put in all kinds of clauses. Right? I don't know how or what. I don't know what the reason is, but they yeah they put in a rematch clause which Usyk must have agreed to. But why would you agree to it? I don't understand. I, I mean, you know what? To be fair, 
Usyk's thinking he's he's probably thinking I can beat this guy again, and that's another payday for me. Yeah, on top. huge, huge payday, huge payday for me twice over. Fuck it, why not? I'll fight this guy again, no problem. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, he came in like an absolute killer, man. But then here's the thing, though: the one argument I'll make in favor of AJ with regards to this fight is this: Tyson Fury knew that he had to fight Wilder again because he also signed a rematch clause. He kept it under wraps. He said he's going to fight AJ. AJ trained for Tyson Fury for much of this year. I believe Usyk has been training to fight AJ for over a year, but AJ hasn't been, I think maybe three months, maybe a bit more, has been training to fight Usyk. So obviously their camps have been kind of varied. That's the only argument I'll make for AJ. So maybe if AJ has another six months to really just train nothing but to fight for Usyk, who knows, maybe he might, you know, might do a thing there, but I'm not think, too sure. I think the next fight is going to be tighter. I, I don't think it's going to be... Because even this fight was tighter. and I mean, I mean, not tight. Usyk won, but he didn't necessarily knock him out. He didn't, like, take out AJ. Do you know what I mean? Did you notice, though, in the last 10 seconds of the fight, they said 15 seconds to go, and then they finished it five seconds. Like, well, they, five they seconds. say that. They say that. But I timed it. I actually went back and timed the, the thing. So there's a point where the, the timer shows up, and it says 10 seconds and then disappears. Yeah. And I time it, and it's two seconds off. And mm. two seconds off can be, you know, the delay between the TV, the TV, and what's happening live. So I'm not, I'm not that bothered. People try to make it as if it's like 15 seconds, but it really wasn't mm. that long. So because I mean, even arguably, AJ was on the brink of getting knocked out. Like, yeah. Yeah. he was in trouble. Unloaded on him. Yeah, yeah. But was he two seconds in trouble? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe, maybe. That being said, all right, Steve, um, mm. you know what? Let's give like a little prediction for the next fight and then we can move on to our next topic. Um, so what, what do you think is going to happen if when they fight again? I think it's going to be a tighter fight. I think AJ is not going to box him because he knows he's a superior boxer, but he's going to come to fight him. And I think if he doesn't win, if AJ doesn't win by round six, he's going to put it on him early. And if he doesn't win by round six, it's a six fight. This is my opinion. Yeah, I think it's just going to be the easy, clean cut. No matter what AJ tries, he's going to end up losing again. Um, and then obviously we're going to eventually see Tyson Fury or Wilder against Usyk. And I actually think Usyk wins that as well. He might come out of nowhere and end up unifying the belts after years of these guys mm. kind of doing back and forth, longing it out. I think Usyk might just come through and unify the belts himself. Well, with um, Fury, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Usyk can beat Fury. Just because if, they both, know, man. if they both decide to box Aaron, Fury mm. is a, a lot better at boxing uh, as a boxer, like a distance fighter, than AJ. We can't compare it. And I no, think... no, of course. I think it'll be much closer. Yeah. But I do feel like Usyk has, has I think... some... There's some. There's points to be made there that Usyk could potentially beat. Um, I mean, there's, there's, always, there's always a chance. I'm not saying it's going to be a far-off uh, um, Fury win. I think it's going to be tight as well. But I think mm. Fury will be able to control the distance a lot bit better than AJ. You know, he has longer True. arms. He'll be able to do it, do what AJ wanted to do. Well, we'll see. But I, I believe Fury will do what AJ wanted to do and do it effectively and win on points. But I think it'll be a boring, boring fight. I don't, I don't think a Usyk-Fury uh, fight will be interesting. Yeah, much like most of Tyson Fury's fights, to be entirely honest with you. Um, mm. Okay, well, should we, should we move on to maybe some of the other stuff that's been happening um, this week? So uh, the government's announced. So now we're going into the more political side of our podcast. 
So the government's announced that they're going to lower the rate at which uh, students need to pay back their loans. So in essence, I believe right now is if you earn more than 24K a year, I think they want to bring it a bit lower so that, you know, you have to start paying back your loans quicker. Um, again, this just means that young people are again getting another, you know, deduction in their wages, et cetera. Uh, and they're getting fined basically for what's, what's happened over the past year or two. Uh, and people are obviously very upset, but given the classist nature of our country, unfortunately, rather than being mad at a potential, you know, um, lowering of the the salary at which you need to start paying back your your student loans people are actually now saying oh well you know why should um why should we have to subsidize for example uh dance and uh sociology etc the taxpayers should help pay off you know medical uh university degrees etc ones that are quote unquote useful and those who are doing, you know, art, sociology, et cetera, you know, they, those are the guys you should have to pay more. So they, they're basically trying to kind of categorize what is a useful and isn't a useful degree and mm -hmm. saying that those with useful degrees maybe shouldn't have to pay and those with uh, useless degrees should have to pay. Um, what do you think about that? What, what do you think is a useless degree and what do you think is a useful degree? Well, like... Oh, look, I, I don't think anything is useless or useful. There's obviously a bigger market for, or a, be a better market, in my opinion, for a doctor, right? Your your life choices after that are going to be a lot better than someone who does, for example, like English studies, which is quite narrow. Unless you go into specific, you know, English-based fields, you're going to go into generic fields, let's be honest. So I, I wouldn't say it's useless, though. But what, what I do believe is that the education system needs to be reformed because I think universities have taken the mick at this point where anything has become a university degree. And for the certain subjects, for example, like music, you know, a university degree style, you know, examination style thing is not relevant in the music field. Do you know what I mean? Like there should be... Yeah, as down to how the person views it. I, I've forgotten the word for it now. Uh, yeah, but, but like the, I am, but yeah, to actually, you can't really grade music if that makes sense. I think. I mean, if you if you sit down a music uh, student to do a test, you know, like several tests over a year on paper, what are you really? What, what are you even doing as a music student? Even drama, like you can get a drama degree, but let's say I had a child, right, and they wanted to be an actor. I would not send them to university. I'll send them to a specific drama school. I'll be like, this is the route you need to go to because they will teach you how to actually be drama students. Do you know what I mean? Like actually be actors. So mm. I feel like the education system has been wrapped around university because university is so profitable and they really don't care who comes in or out. You know? Yeah, it's, quite, so, it's quite funny because like my, my sister, who was two years older than me, she paid nine grand for her entire degree. And I paid nine grand per year. But the difference between what we were being taught was mm. zilch. So the, the 6K increase was just an arbitrary figure that they just randomly selected the year group for and said anyone that comes after this year group is going to pay, pay nine grand. So you're going to pay three times as much per year and get nothing extra. And, you know, even now in the time of the pandemic where people aren't even going into universities, they're being asked to pay nine grand for Teams meetings, basically. It's crazy. So it's, it's crazy. just become a it's just become a case of regardless of the degree, um, we, we they really are fucking, fucking over students. Let's be honest here. And be, um, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Can, can I just say like 
And people want to say, yeah, but they're getting a really good education because it's a British education. In Germany, in Germany, people pay 300, pound, 300 euros a year to get an education in Germany. Don't tell me German education is bad. I mean, like, uh, yeah, you on. like your German let's, cars. Let's be honest you? here, yeah. I think, I think um, so, like, getting back to the whole topic of what is a useful and useless degree, mm. I guess what people often view as useful is useful in the guise of, for example, you are always going to need a doctor. Therefore, a, doc a medical degree is the gold standard because it's a job that's always guaranteed. It's a degree that's always mm. guaranteed to give you a job. Um, that being said, obviously, the counterpoint being made now is, well, you know, the arts, whether it be music, you know, classical art, graphic design, or, you know, a topics more like sociology, yeah. uh, you know, even philosophy, etc. These are the things that, you absorb in your day-to-day -day life without even realizing you're doing it. And without these things, without art in our society, for example, life wouldn't really be worth living is the counter argument being made. Now, I agree that, um, yes, yeah, some degrees might have more monetary value within a society, as in, you know, yeah, if you're a lawyer, you're more guaranteed to have a job. If you're a doctor, you're more guaranteed to have a job. If you're an engineer, you're more guaranteed to have a job. You and I both are you know, are graduates of degrees which are technically high value. Um, but I do agree that, you know, a society that doesn't value arts is not a society that's going to in any way change or excel because those kind of topics really, especially like something like philosophy, I think there's a lot of uh, turning important. your nose up at philosophy now, but it's a very important, it's a very important subject, I think. But I think um, what's critical, Aaron, is that it's very important if you reach a, a good enough level. Yeah. And what happens with, it's unfortunate, but what happens when university degrees become so accessible, okay, uh, pinpoint that, is that mm -hmm. you, you lower the standard. And what that means is that people aren't able to make use of the degree, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, it, Steve, though, let, let, we, let me just make a counterpoint super quickly. Yeah. You and I have got classical degrees but we know many people who've got the same exact degrees as us, which are supposedly meant to be, you know, high value degrees who are, I mean, I don't mean to say this as if I'm, you know, saying it as it's a bad thing or I'm looking down on them or anything, but they're not really in the fields that they've studied. Yeah. So we're seeing now that what that point that you're making about because degrees are so accessible, you know, the, the likelihood of you actually getting the job decreases. That's unfortunately true for pretty much every degree nowadays. The only yeah, but, one I think that it isn't, you know, that doesn't kind of carry on to is medicine. As in, if you are, if you have a medicine degree, you will be a doctor in this country. You're not going to be, you have a medicine degree and then go and, I don't know, teach uh, P in a secondary. Do you know what I mean? I, I know, I agree. But you have to look at the proportion of people that take up these degrees and the proportion of the people that get the jobs. And, you know, these universities pretty much give out these statistics. And I, I'm more than sure that the proportion of people that take up these other degrees are a lot greater because, the, frankly, they're just more interesting subjects. Let me be honest. Like, I, I thought about studying psychology and philosophy. Like, it's really, yeah, really man, interesting. Yeah. So, so it makes sense. You know, it's going to be more public subjects. And I think the proportion is a lot smaller, if that makes sense. Um, I think also, and I keep talking about this, the issue is also the system in which education lies upon. In Germany, for example, when you do a degree, it's not just you're doing it on paper and then good luck, go find a job. They're linked to, they're linked to work.
you understand? Like you, you do one, two years, then you go into industry, like they're linked to companies. You go work in that industry. And then more than often you get offered the job at the end of it, unless you're an absolute bum. Do you know what I mean? You actually do nothing while you're there. Yeah. So you know what? That's great that you brought up the Germany point, because Mm. if you're a young student or you're just a young graduate or whatever, do you bother to stay in the UK? I feel like we're getting taxed left, right and center. And it's always taxes that are coming forward that are disproportionately affecting the young than the poor. And it's like, is it really our fault that the older generations have messed the economy up? For example, like if I'm somebody who's 19, 20, let's say, I'm looking at the generations before me. They've had many financial crises and they've made many decisions within their voting patterns that have led us down this path of obscurity. I just look at it and go, well, I'm not the cause of this. You are, but I'm having to pay for your mistakes. Do you bother to stay in the UK or do you take all of this knowledge that you now have, supposedly, from these universities... Mm. And you just jump ship to somewhere, like you said, like Germany. But, you know, life life is more more complicated than... Ideally, yeah, it makes sense, right? But, you, you know, you get tied down... there is a shift of people leaving currently the country. That's true. I mean, me personally, if I could, I'd actually leave. But, you know, you get tied down with family, you get tied down with personal matters. And I think mm-hmm. a lot... We, we forget that people are human beings as well. So, although it makes more sense to leave, a lot of the times you're tied down by these things. And so, you know, it's not really I am a, predicting... Yeah, go on. That in the next few generations, we're going to see much more emigration from the U- from the UK to especially mm-hmm. Europe. Because um, right now, obviously, we'll touch on this topic in a moment as well. There's a fuel crisis, supposedly. Mm. You know, they're saying that, oh, we might not even be able to have Christmas. Oh, we're running out of CO2. Oh, we're running out of gas. You know, it, it's, it seems as though, okay, fine, Brexit happened. And I've always said... Once the vote happens, the vote happens, whether you like it or not, you have to go through with it. But it seems like we've just really not prepared well for it at all, which I'm not surprised if I'm being honest with you. But it was a total failure. Like it was a yeah, failure. It's a total from the failure. Start. It was a failure yeah. from the get-go. But like the way they failed is astronomical beyond belief. And Bro. so when you look at all of these things, I just think, you know what? It's more than likely that in the next 10 years, uh, young kids who are graduating. Not like, let's say, you and me who are tied down by our families, etc. Young kids who don't necessarily have these ties are going to just say, you know what? I've seen countless generations before me get fucked over by this country. I'm not staying here. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to the big bright lights of America or to Europe or to Canada or to wherever. Yeah, yeah. I just I think we're heading down a very dangerous path. And to even make that uh, more you know, in your face, the birth rates have declined tremendously. People are not having kids. Yeah. And right now, at the current rates that they're at, our, our you know, population is going to shrink, mm. which is a problem. No, no country, regardless of what the kind of population crisis might be, wants their population to shrink significantly. That's, yep. That's when you shift the burden up to the, you know, you get more senior people in your country, then what happens exactly. to the youth then? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like they have to make up for that. You need a population I, of working people. It needs to be at least neutral. for. And, for and to, one of the major reasons for this has been pointed out as the fact that the price of everything has gone up, but wage hasn't, the wage given to people hasn't increased proportionally. With it's it. insane. Inflation it's insane. is ridiculous in this country. And yeah, there's no incentives. Childcare is too expensive. The, like to pay for childcare, you need to have a full-time job just to pay for childcare. Then what are you left mm. with? Nothing. Your quality of life is significantly diminished if you have a if you have a child in this country. 
And uh, yeah, so yeah. the next 10 years isn't looking bright to me at all. And I know this might seem like a small thing. Oh yeah, so what if you pay student loan a bit more, et cetera. But it's the, it's the general trend of how the young are being punished for the voting decisions and the yeah. ineptitude of the elderly, in my opinion. Everything, everything is going up. Look, you're increasing the proportion of, of the student loan debt. Okay, that on your pay wage, boom, went up. Uh, insurance is going up. Like uh, the national insurance is going up. Inflation just keeps rising. The cost of, never mind buying a house, forget that. The cost of oh, that's, renting. That's impossible now anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The cost of renting is, is skyrocketing now. Everything is going up. The only thing that's not going up at all is wages. It's just, it remains stagnant. You know? And, and you this know what? Is so much has happened this country. week. So much mm. has happened this week. I'm going to have to bring up another thing that's just happened. I'll go for it. So an MP uh, who was part of the shadow cabinet for Keir Starmer has quit. And his reason for quitting is because Keir Starmer's team has pressured him into basically opposing the £15 minimum wage. Now, he put out a statement and said, I cannot look my constituents in the eye and say, no, don't take the, don't, you know, don't ask for the £15 minimum wage. Mm. I just can't do it. And so he's, he's resigned from his position. And what's even more disgusting is that Keir Starmer, while trying to be elected as the Labour leader, uh, joined McDonald's workers who were on a strike asking for £15 an hour, saying, I stand with you. We should all have £15 minimum wage. So it just goes to show that the people who are supposedly meant to be on your side, if you're a younger person, they're just playing the game just as, just as much as the Tories are, just as much as anybody else is. It's like there is no one yeah. really fighting for the rights of the working class of young people or anyone. You're saying you're telling me that 15 pounds an hour minimum wage is, you know, is unreasonable, is not doable. But you think it's doable that you're selling like a one bed flat in, in London for 300, 400k? Yeah, it's crazy. Your wage has it? to increase if the price of everything else is increasing. It just doesn't. They make don't sense care. They don't care, man. It, it, this is the. I think this is the game. It's a. Rem, rem, they want England and the UK to go back to the that feudal era. You know, when you mm. had serfs and then you had knights, and you know, is a clear distinction between the two. I mean, even now, people minimum. Let's say you have a minimum wage job, which these jobs have to be filled. By the way, guys, like <laughs> we can't just get rid of these jobs. They happen to pay the minimum wage. People on minimum wage jobs, you know, working full time on them, they to make ends meet, they claim benefit on top of working. Like, do, do you understand the sheer, like, how difficult life is right now in the UK? And maybe our listeners, because I think they're predominantly from, let's say, engineering backgrounds, maybe uh, more affluent backgrounds. People work full time and have to rely on the government to top up and sustain their life you know, to feed their kids. This is insanity. Like, if nothing changes, surely that has to change your mind at some point. You, you know, like, it's going to be very unsustainable. And when we see knife crimes rising in London, when we see these all these crime rates skyrocketing, and people are like, oh my God, you know, why is this happening? Well, poverty pushes people further and further towards the edge. So like, the, for me, it's so obvious, but people just can't see it. Should I, uh, should I tell you why I know that we're, we're just a very insane country? Today, today, Steve, in Germany, they voted to take back 250 homes from mega landlords, so, you know, developers, basically, and give them back to the public uh, to make them social housing. Literally every other country is seeing this, this inflation where the wages aren't rising as much as um, the, the price of everything else. 
and they're taking legitimate steps and people are opposing it. You know, the working class are opposing it. They're fighting for their rights. But in the UK, we're so classist with rather like, oh, let's all just get fucked. Then, you know, give this guy a slightly higher minimum wage. Mm. We're very backwards in the UK. I don't know what causes it. Maybe is as you said, they just want to go back to the feudal feudal system. But I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't really understand the reasoning behind the people who are who are still supporting the same kind of government that have led us down this path continually. It doesn't make sense to me. Like you look at other countries and they all have like a limit. In France, every two days there's a riot. If what was happening in the UK was happening in France, I mean, there'll be a, there'll be a riot every minute. But we seem to be taking it. I don't understand why the UK is so different from everyone else. Maybe that's why we wanted to leave the EU. I don't know. And as you mentioned, there's like, you know, there's there's jobs that are, they need to be filled. And right now we're seeing people in the EU, they're saying, well, no, we're not going to come and fill your jobs. You don't want us to be there. You only want to give us a three month permit to stay. No, we want 12 months minimum, uh, such as with the, the drivers for the... Um, for the petrol, which is now now why we have a, I think it's called a HGV driver shortage. Yeah. There's there's these jobs that we have here that people here don't want to do. And people in Europe are saying, well, we've reached our limit with you. We don't want to do this either. And so <laughs> and now we're ending up with shortages and we've gone back to the 1970s. And, and these jobs are skilled jobs. And once again, this is my problem. You know, it, it loops back to the university thing. Eric. Mm. This country has not prepared, you know, they're not prepared to pay or have people ready for skilled work. Like I said, you know, this is my opinion, a disproportionate amount of people go into fields that are too accessible because is you don't have a choice. Is either do this or your minimum, like, like we said, do this or you're not earning nothing at all doing important jobs. When in reality, these important jobs need to be earning properly. Now, this be an incentive for people to decide to do vocational work. But unfortunately, there's none of that at all. You know, you're gonna, you know where you're gonna end up. You're gonna end up in Primark or some services to to work there. And it's, you know, what I mean, the the scale scalability of those kind of works is very limited. You know, if you were a HGV driver, you know, you're gonna pay, you can be paid nothing because they're not willing to up the rate on that, even though it's actually a very skilled work. You know, to drive these trucks around around yeah. Europe and into the UK, etc. It's it's processes. But the government is not willing to put money into it. This is the problem. Like everything's just shifted just to make more money. Squeeze people and just make more money. Make things, you know, labor cheaper and just more money. This is the thing. And people from from Europe, especially now, are just saying, well, no, we won't do these jobs for next to nothing and you treat us like shit. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know where this era of superiority is coming from within the UK. We're going to have to start paying out the nose to get these jobs done. And that's just the end of it. Because as you said, we don't have the people, we don't have the capacity to do it ourselves, which again, I think comes from a very classist place. People look down on those who do, you know, skilled jobs, uh, vocational jobs, and they don't want to do it themselves. But the reality is now we need someone to do it and others aren't willing to do it for the shit cutthroat prices that we're offering them. And that's just the end of, that's just the end of the conversation right there. Um, so I don't know, man, I, I, people have been going panic buying left, right and center of, uh, Petrol has been very difficult to find any petrol. We've seen ambulances having yeah. to queue for hours, not being able to go help sick people. We're seeing people punch each other up over, you know, a litre of diesel. 
Uh, I don't know. It doesn't look great in the UK at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. Man. I saw Aaron twerking at the BP station. Uh, I don't know what that was about, but still. Uh, that's the only way they would give me diesel, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's a bit... Uh, also, I feel the media kind of... Although this is happening, they also... <laughs> Blew it Igniting out. Igniting the fear, yeah. Yeah, they they love they love this. You know this bread and butter. Once they smell the fear, like you said, they just pour gasoline over it and make mm. it into a huge, huge thing. It the was going to be would, yeah. There wouldn't have been a shortage, by the way, if people didn't panic by the the for sure. Like it would have been manageable. Part. It would have been tight, but it would have been manageable. But the, the fact that they saw that and said, "Let us just make a problem," because obviously we'll get more clicks, more views. This is my opinion, anyway. On the media, they, that's all they care about. So. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's all the whole thing is sad, isn't it? It, sh- it shows like what people's uh motivator in life is like what what is their driver, and at the end of the day, in this era, it all comes down to the dollar, it always it all comes down to money. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't always the case. I'm, I'm not saying it was better back in the days, but the the currency of you know worth was not always money, money was a tool, but now money is like the pinnacle. It's, it's crazy. So uh, yeah, don't make me go on an anti-capitalist rant, rant right now. Um, you know what? Let's finish this episode off. I have a I have a very uh, interesting ethical question I want to ask you on our bonus episode. Um, and uh, so yeah, let's end this episode here. And if you are a, a subscriber to our Patreon, you can jump over to the Patreon now and get the bonus episode too. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll see you on that side. Remember, if you sign up to our Patreon. You're helping out uh, Solace Women's Aid. It's a wonderful charity, helps out women in need. So yeah, really look into that charity, look into our Patreon if you can. You know, it's only what, $2.99 a month, Steve? Am I correct in that? Yep. It's only $2.99 a month, you get bonus episodes and you help our wonderful charity. So we'll see you there. Uh, Steve, why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand? You- that was bloody brilliant.